Crunchman from otherworldlyculture.com and today we have an exciting panel for you. The classic Fright Night was released on August 2nd, 1985 and opened the same weekend as Weird Science Phenomena, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, and maybe it's counter-programming. Big birds follow that bird. <laughs> it opened third that weekend behind the juggernaut that was Back to the Future and National Lampoon's European vacation for no reason whatsoever. It did edge out weird science and uh, went on to be a pretty decent sized hit and then became a true cult classic. Now I introduce to you our panel discussion with the stars of Fright Night. William Ragsdale, who played Charlie oh, yeah. Bruce Lee. seems so plausible to me so coral snakes and vampires were my two um, <laughs> nightmare sources yeah. Mm. yeah I'm I'm a big fan of, of, of the uh, suspense like uh, you know exorcist silence of the lambs and uh, th those movies are awesome and they're really really old uh, horror movies black and white you know, <laughs> what about you William uh, yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, um, William. Uh, yeah, I'm a. I was a big horror fan growing up. I read creepy and uh, 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 creepy and not spooky. What's the other one? Uh, eerie magazines. Uh, my dad had a drugstore, so I used to go through those. And um, I also love the the classic horror films from uh, Universal. And uh, was a child of the '60s and '70s, so I knew uh, Night Gallery and. Uh, uh, and all the Hammer stuff and, you know, Count Yorga. And oh, I, so. The Legend of Boggy Creek. Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, that's an Arkansas film. 
Yeah. You don't hear about that too much anymore, right? Um, you hear other people hear. in the room. <laughs> <laughs> You're amongst friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've I've always liked horror. I but I like uh, uh, unlike uh, Jonathan, I like gentlemen vampires. Uh, but also I like spooky as opposed to really sort of gory. Gory. That's my. Yeah, I think everybody in the room probably has a continuum as to how gory they like it and how much suspense. And I think the fans of Fright Night might be moving toward the suspense side, but there was some incredible special effects in there. And I know at least two of you had some trouble with makeup, if I remember correctly. And Billy? <laughs> Billy was heavily made up. <laughs> Still in. <laughs> You're talking about the contact lens the story? Contact lenses. Yeah. Well, you know, this was practical effects, which is having a, a resurgence these days. It's coming full circle a little bit off of uh, all the CGI, which is unbelievable. But we were guinea pigs because they were always, and Richard Edlin was top of the game back in that day, and they were always trying to outdo one another. And we were the the sacrificial lambs, really. And I don't wear contact lenses, and I didn't then. And so I had three different pairs and kind of didn't really know what to expect. And they were all painted differently as the character of Amy transitioned um, as a vampire. And the last pair went in, and they put them in at the last minute, and you could barely see out of them, but just enough. And this pair was driving me crazy, and I was trying not to hold things up or just drag from all the work that's getting done so we can roll. And, um, but it just got just unbearable and I just kind of went out, hello. And they took them out and they'd forgotten to sand the oh. back of the lens for the paint. So I'm really kind of glad I spoke up because I can still see. <laughs> but you know, and I was six hours in the chair. Sarandon was a 10, right? Eight to 10 when he was in his full regalia. But that's what it took. And we had these madmen, um, makeup artists and special effects guys, they were yeah. insane. And it was just fascinating. Look at them, like they're painting a canvas and they had that kind of look in their eyes, like, kind of, like you said, crazy. And <laughs> but they, they were just so good and, and so talented. And I mean, I totally trusted them. And, uh, wasn't there it, there's something though that um, something didn't taste right or something for you? Oh, something yeah. with the werewolf transformation. What happened now? They put the wrong stuff in your mouth. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he pulled some joke on me during that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they they were they were uh, yeah they they were kooky at, at that time and uh, but it, you know it 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 all kind of fit in to the whole thing, you know? I mean, it, you know, it was sitting in a chair for 16 hours, getting hairs put on you, and uh, it, it, it's just not human. So you just kind of surrender to the madness, you know? I assume they were mostly whacked out on coke or something most of the time. I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was you. <laughs> Way to try and deflect that. <laughs> yeah, they actually gave me, I think, a Valium or something at the beginning oh, really? to just like fall asleep. But you know, when you're sitting in a metal chair and 
a cold, you know, warehouse kind of, it, it was tough. <laughs> Chris spent so much time in the chair that he, they eventually let him uh, do his own hands because that was something yes. that could keep him oh, occupied. And, and, uh, and he had those finger, the fing yeah. those finger or extensions. My understanding is he used to do his own makeup when he was in the theater. And well, you do. That's one, why he One does. <laughs> no, I mean, unless it's, it is a special effects kind of thing in the theater, but yeah, well, we all came from the theaters. And in this movie, if I remember correctly, there was something about there were two weeks of rehearsal, and that's more of a theater thing. Usually, you go out there and just go. Uh, did that help, and what did you develop during those two weeks? Stephen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I, I I mean, up to that point, every, uh, I mean, I think I did two movies beforehand, and what worked for me was just I, walking to the set, and I mean, I, I prepared, I mean, every actor's different, you know, I don't know, but, but I, you know, for the first movie I did, Heaven Help Us, I had no idea what I was doing, to be honest. Um, uh, all I knew was direction in the script that my character was a weasel, and and I and I just went with that, and and it worked out great. I mean, I I uh, I, I just said, I, you know, and I think when an actor is cast for for especially a film, they're pretty much right when they walk in the door. You know, I, I think that to, you know, I mean, you know, of course, unless you're doing you know Richard the Third or something, and you really have to add all these different layers, but, um, so I, you know, th these guys wrote really lengthy, uh, life stories, and uh, I guess it helped. <laughs> well, thanks, Stephen, for that vote of confidence, but and we were actually just talking about this yesterday, which is why I pointed at him, because he, he, he was sort of forced he got sent to the, the principal's office. He did, and he got called out on it, and he was like, so I wrote a bunch of um, but you know, I I uh, I had an unusual experience because I was auditioning with 16 and 17 year old girls, and I was 26 when I made Fright Night, and I'm looking down the row, going, I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't buy me for one minute. But because the character of Amy got to go through such a wonderful arc with you know this uh, this journey. And at one point, you know, she has to kind of grow up, and uh, so that 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 played in my favor. I got to, uh, to deal with uh, Chris and I for two weeks while we were rehearsing. First, it took me three or four days to stop trembling because I was such a fan from Dog Day Afternoon. I just couldn't believe how great he was. And but we got to explore the relationship and and how long from from you know 800 years back. So we had all this information. I wish I could remember what it was. I can't, but uh, it was to me it was very beneficial, and it was just fun hanging with Chris and talking. How many pages was that? Eight hundred years of <laughs> I, I, I have seven volumes. <laughs> the thing, the value of that thing was uh, that exercise, which you do a lot in the theater, I guess, is uh, is that it got everybody on the same page. We all knew where every actor was coming from and and what we were going to encounter, you know, and when, when we <coughs> these characters. So it was valuable in that sense. And 
and it's very rare. They they actually uh, marked out the. We sort of knew the pattern of the of the rooms and stuff because they marked it out on the soundstage for us to rehearse. Them. So it was then you you didn't have to worry about where you were going that when you finally got there. But what was the same page? Where was there like a central? What was the central theme? I, I mean, this is a very different vampire movie from a lot of them. We're still talking about with this one. Afterwards, what what is it that made Fright Night a classic that we're still talking about? Me. <laughs> John and Chris's chemistry. Well, it's the storytelling, I think. Always, because if it's not there on the page, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen on. On the camera, and 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 Tom Holland was so clear in his vision, and uh, and wanted to, wanting to take us on his journey. But if for no other reason, you just get comfortable with one another. And when you're spending hours in in makeup chairs, and then you're thrown into the scene, and you do it really quickly, and so it just be, it built these relationships and these connections with one another, and I think that's part that plays in the film because to me, *Fright Night* has a lovely level of humanity about it, and then you suspend your disbelief when you go into this when the horror takes over. But it's it's really kind of about the boy next door, and then this really fantastical, <laughs> horrific thing that happens to him. And, you know, that's not typical. I was saying that to some people I've, I've told that I remember mostly that we laughed so much. We were always laughing about something because everybody here was so funny. And before a lot of the scenes, especially the scene where we all did together, we were out of control and Tom started yelling at us because he's like, he's like, you can't get, no, you got to do, this is scary, you can't be laughing. This was so dead serious. And that's partly why he, he wanted the rehearsal. He was, he was, it was his first, you know, big directorial uh, project and he wrote it. So he was, he was kind of nervous. So he wanted to, that insurance that we were prepared <laughs> and Chris was, Chris was the worst of all of us. Chris was always goofing around. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's just interesting in, the, in, in regard to what you said, why it's been around. I think that partly because of that rehearsal or whatever, I think every character is sympathetic in some way. You know, that is not always true of, in, of horror and monster movies, is that everybody's got a story and you kind of feel for them. You know, everybody's in a situation that they would like to change, they can't, they're trying, you know, and so you're so you're kind of rooting for everyone. So I guess I think that, that helps. And it was funny. It was a funny, there were deliberate funny moments in the script. And so there is that, that balance of this real lightness of being with these moments of terror. Well, you were saying how seriously he took it. I'm like, sometimes comedy is more serious well, you can't play the funny. You know that'll kill comedy in a heartbeat. You can't play to the funny. You play the reality. Okay. Yeah, and then it comes out of the humanity and good writing, and instinctual performances, and you know, yeah. Now I I just did some calculations over here, and the statute of limitations is up. So I do need to ask: Did any of you make off with something from the? <laughs> I got my tits. <laughs> you always want to go there, John. I want to hear that story. No, but I and I really wish I kept my fangs. 
She was selling. She was selling her fake boobs. I had the C's candy box for 20 years, and we started doing these on the 20th anniversary. Yes, 2005. The 20. That's and I, I mean we hadn't seen each other in pretty much 20 years, and I, I all those things have. And I just thought, what am I gonna, you know? She had all her, she had all her pictures laid out, and then the boobs. <laughs> <laughs> because I, and that was an interesting moment, having because I was thinner then, and um, and Tom wanted her to be more voluptuous when I got into that white dress, and so these nerdy guys had to put plaster on me one morning at four o'clock, and that's you know, and then there were. Resin hardened, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I don't know why, but I kept the boobs. I, don't know. Kept I guess I just didn't want anybody else to have them. <laughs> she, kept <laughs> boobs. she kept them and she kept them in this candy box, so yeah. she was gonna sell them or auction them. Yeah, so she had them on her table, which is fine, you know, it's an auction for a you know, whatever nice event or something like that. But you don't realize until people start coming to your table and picking up the booze and looking at them, feeling them a little bit, and think, oh, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. Well, and then the character from Silence of the Lambs, <laughs> seriously, is like the dude that bought him. And so John, John, John never lets me forget. He's like, you enjoy those now. I mean, I didn't really steal it. It was my property. I felt like I took the uh, skull that that, that uh, skidded along the floor, and I had it in my garage for years in a box. I couldn't even find it. And Tom, I mentioned it to Tom, and he said, "Well, I, 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 I got to have that." So I finally weeded through some boxes and found it and gave it to him. But that's all I really had. Because he collects everything. He does. And somebody came to the yeah. table. I don't know if you're here. Yes, who did the um, the box? Oh, yeah, oh, the Peter Vincent box. Peter. Are y'all yeah, in here? No. Oh, and Tom regrets to this day that he didn't keep that kit. You know, Peter Vincent's oh. vampire kit. But uh, he's got a lot of the monster heads. And he has all the uh, original Chuckies, too. All those. Wow. Now, do any of you get stabbed with quotes that fans always shout out to you? I, well, I, I do that. <laughs> what was the question? Do you, do you get stopped with fans shouting out quotes to you? Do you have any famous quotes from the film? Well, <laughs> 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 hey, now, yeah. Uh, it, it was crazy. Um, I was living in New York City and um, I, I, I'd be like taking the cab somewhere and I'd start talking, you know, take me to 34th and and, and the, the guy would turn around and like, because I have, I guess I have a distinctive voice and and, and that would, uh, all the time that, that happened. Didn't, um, you have, didn't there somebody on the subways? And on the subways, the kids are kind of, uh, New Yorker kids are sort of rambunctious and, 
you know. Um, but they'd be, uh, you know, oh, there's that dude from right now, you know, do that laugh, do that laugh. And I'm, I, it, it just, uh, it was horrifying. Do it! Do it! I just stopped whether or not it was, you know, the correct one, but, um, but it was fun. You know, what the heck? Better than a kick in the head. <laughs> I keep getting hill got the lines moving. But I don't think that's a good <laughs> Well, we, we brought up the character, and it's time to talk about the man. How was working with Rodney McDowell? He was uh, a delight. He was, um, he was very accessible and very uh, welcoming, and uh, humble is maybe not the right word, but he was just an equal. You know, he, he, It really felt like you were working with an equal, which none of us were. And um, the great thing, one of the great things about it was he was just an encyclopedia of, of movie history, of actor lives, and um, you know, and he would share that between takes. We'd start talking, you know, and they'd be ready for a shot, but he hasn't finished his story yet. So we're like, okay. <laughs> so it was it was really enriching, you know. I mean, he knew Laurel and Hardy, you know, he knew all of these. Everyone. He made people. videos too, didn't he? Yeah, lots of, he had, yeah, he had a video camera that was like this big that he would, oh. the backpack that he would walk around and he took a lot of videos of the our, uh, backs, backstage sort of stuff, and uh, which is now lost as far as we know, but, but um, yeah, he was, he was wonderful. He was a really nice, generous, lovely guy. He was a lot like the softness of Peter Vincent. It, it, I felt that it was close, and I didn't really know him that well. I had a couple of scenes with them, and you know, Billy spent probably more time on camera working with him. Um, but he really had that just kind nature, and um, uh, and just no pretentiousness whatsoever, just none. And again, it just put us all at ease. He and Chris both were just true gentlemen. Um, because we were all kind of in the same place just beginning our careers. And yet there was no hierarchy. Um, and I think that, that camaraderie, that kind of community is there on the film, in the film. I, I don't really remember, but I think I recall that he didn't have to write a character history. Did he? Uh, <laughs> you're kind of bitter about that. <laughs> I don't remember him being there, but well, I do remember him saying. I mean, there was something about him that he he was in these iconic films. He was iconic. His he knew all the A-listers, but he was never that level of a movie star. And so he added this understanding and this I don't know empathy, sympathy for a B actor. Because in a sense, he had that. He had and, lived that, yeah. Yeah, he had lived that. And so Tom, maybe yeah. that's what you... Tom tells the story that he, you know, he was a child star. And, you know, and the transition was, you know, once you reach that sort of late puberty, teenage years, it's hard for every actor. And, uh, and Roddy went through that as well and never really... And really, only around the time of Friday Night was starting to get back into being, I mean, aside from Planet of the Apes and stuff like that, was to, to being a recognizable face again. And, 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 and he did uh, Overboard with, uh, with Goldie Hawn. And, uh, 
you know, so he was really sort of re, he really sort of re, got reignited from that stuff. So, but he knew something about, in that room, you know, in that sense, he knew Peter Vincent's story. You also have a lot of time sitting around. That's more time than anything is you're just sitting there waiting for your scene or your shot or whatever. And Roddy always had stories. He would just sit there and tell stories. And I, I honestly don't remember any of them, but I remember thinking, oh my God, you should write a book. <laughs> the, the thing that I learned in my research with Roddy McDowell is he probably didn't write a book because he knew more secrets than anybody in Hollywood and he kept up. He said he would never write about it. Yeah, yeah. I, remem I remember him quite a few times speaking of how he uh, disliked Rex Harrison. I mean, it's, he, he really did not like that guy. And, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I remember him uh, saying, and it's a couple other uh, actors who he uh, wasn't really fond of. So that was, that was awesome. Present company. <laughs> well, I, I would think you would have some sympathy for some of you with uh, makeup because he went through some pretty bad makeup for a oh very, very God. long time. I can't imagine. Okay, he went through all the planet movies yeah. and then the TV, TV series. That was on and off for almost a decade. Is that about right? Yeah. So, interesting. Um, there are rumors I have to ask about, or everybody will get me. No. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. Uh, Whatever you're going to say. I'm, I'm just asking if, uh, is there any fact behind that there might be sequel resurrections that's being worked out? Well, I, I keep in touch with Tom, and he sent me the first draft of his uh, novel called Fright Night Aftermath. It takes place immediately after, the minute after the, the, the original one ends. I liked it a lot. I thought it was terrific. And I, I don't know, he said he was going to send it off to the publisher. I haven't spoken to him lately. But then he said, well, I've got another one in my head that I want to call um, Friday Night Billy's Bones. And I said, well, that, that should be interesting. I mean, I don't think you can bring me back, but you'd have to bring somebody that looks like me back. <laughs> but, he's, but a younger me, maybe. He's still percolating, and it's still living in him, uh, whether or not it translates to a... Yeah, it's, it's their novels. They're not, you know, they're not screenplays. They're, they're not I, I have to ask about this as well, the Fright Night reboot. Uh, any opinions on the Fright Night reboot? Well, I think I said to some of you all that Chris Sarandon, I think, put it wisely in that it wasn't a remake, it was more of a reimagining. Because it didn't have the relationship to the film uh, that one would have thought. And as a standalone horror movie, I thought it was a good film. Um, it's not my genre. I thought it was kind of one dark note. It was hysterical to see Chris show up on screen. I got a big kick out of that. Didn't know that was going to happen. And I thought there were some really interesting, you know, putting it in Vegas at the time when that was a really depressed real estate market and then having Peter Vincent's character be that sort of David Angel kind of magician type of character. Um, but it didn't, first of all, Part of the kitsch of Fright Night is the 80s, so it's kind of hard to grab that, put it out there again in a completely different millennium. Um, but 
What did y'all think? <laughs> I, I, I thought there were good parts of it. I was really disappointed in the Peter Vincent character because what made that character so interesting was the vulnerability and the uh, need to try and be a, a better person or to try and do better, but who was scared. And it didn't come through to me anyway with that particular portrayal. They're, they're all good actors. All, they were all excellent actors. It was just, I think, a misfire in that particular area. I called uh, John to see if he wanted to go see it. And, uh, and he said, yeah, but I'm out of the country. I'll, I'll see it when I, get back, when I get back in a, three weeks or so. I said, I don't think it's going to be here. <laughs> we, we, we did go see it. We, we, we had lunch and we went to see it. And as we were going in the theater, this had only been going about two weeks. And they were taking down the poster, and we were the only ones in the theater. Yeah. Oh, so we we're like, oh, I'm not going to do well. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, was good. <laughs> uh, I just seen this T-shirt here. The, the the ad campaign for the movie was the exact same as ours. The same face, the same the house with the face, and all that stuff. And so, I was living in L.A. then, and uh, you know, driving around, following buses with Fright Night ad on the back, and I'm you know, whatever, not in the kid anymore, and I'm like. This is weak. this is like surreal, you know. And but uh, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was fine. Yeah, I did you see? Yeah, I I finally did, and it just it felt like we were being violated. <laughs> I thought that was the good part. But it's like well, we already did this, and uh, it, it just didn't, you know, personally, you know, it just. Didn't seem right that it was being told again. Um, I mean, I, 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 you know, I mean, every character in, in ours was just, you know, you, you felt something for, and uh, and I, I, I didn't get that. I mean, you know, and even the effects were kind of stupid. I thought Sarandon was one of the best parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. When, when Chris showed up, it was like, yes, this, there's some. It was lovely. That's an answer. By the way, speaking of Chris, I, I just texted him a while back, and, and I said uh, I sent him a picture of us. We were all uh, flipping him the bird, and uh, he said, "Oh, where are you guys?" I said, "Pittsburgh." He said, "Oh, I don't think I was invited to that." I said, "Yeah, I actually called you and asked you if we were going." <laughs> but, he, but he sends his regards to everybody. Oh, Great. Well, I, I have some questions for some of you as follow-ups. Uh, with you, you went on to Fright Night 2, and unfortunately the rest of the cast was uh, killed off or explained away. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the making of Fright Night 2 like? It had to be extremely different. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they sort of wiped the slate, as you say, of the other characters, so it was like, okay, well, you know, you don't think too much in terms of where are they now, because you know that's the purpose of the sequel, I guess, is to kind of go on to another adventure. But um, uh, it was fine; it was good knowing because Roddy and I knew each other, and it was good to know that the, the that chemistry worked and that uh, the basic storyline worked. So you know, it was I was excited about that. I was, I mean. I kind of prefer stories that bring 
the history into it, mm -hmm. uh, but that was the that was not always the case in the eighties. So, yeah. so your your classic TV series Herman's Head was featured recently on Only Murders in the Building. <coughs> if everybody caught that cameo, please. Uh, Please. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know that yeah. he, uh, well, <laughs> you know, we were up for a SAG board. I didn't want to bring it up. <laughs> no, I, they, they just used this, you know, for Herman's Head, they used a, a scene from it. Um, I got a call from my, uh, what we used to call a call, it's now an email, from my agent saying that they're going to use this portion of a clip and you have to sign and say, okay, that's fine. So, um, so that's what happened. Um, I wasn't really sure what was going to be involved. The, has anyone seen the series Murders in the Building? It's, um, anyway, the, the, one, of, one of the leads was my old girlfriend from uh, the 80s, and um, she's now a middle-aged woman, and one of the other characters was a friend of mine, from the 80s who is now a late middle-aged guy and so it was weird to see my friends on a show uh, and me on a show but I'm 20 plus years younger than they are. You know I'm frozen in time and they've moved on in their life so that was kind of that was kind of jarring and um, and, the, and one of the, and one of the the purpose of the the, the clip was that this middle-aged woman is remembering her youth and a show she saw in her youth. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's where we are. But um, thanks for bringing it up. Well, unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere. I was like, oh, it's finally streaming, and I looked around. No, you'd think that maybe that would, you know, somebody would wake up and say, oh. Well, I mean, I thought, too, when Inside Out came out, which is the same Thing. I was like, why didn't they make the dad be your voice? And, <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. Maybe they'll make a sequel of that. $175 million. It's not all about the money, man. <laughs> <laughs> they here? No. Well, Herman's Head was, I think, the second season that Fox Network was up and running, but I believe Amanda beat you one season Did you guys start before earlier. Yeah, of course. I think Mary started the first Yes, season. we launched. Did you? Fox. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think you were after Werewolf, in fact. Well, it was, um, there were three nights, there was one night of primetime programming. The only thing that Fox was was the Joan Rivers show. Right. Which then became the Arsenio Hall show, which yeah. then became UPN and a whole other thing. Which well, Tracy Allman was on. It started with 21 yeah. Jump Street, which wasn't technically in prime time. It was 7 to 8 o'clock with Johnny Depp. And then there was a lineup of uh, three, four sitcoms, and then Tracy Allman at 10. And the first night that it aired in April, they played three of the shows three times. Oh, wow. Cause, and, and, and Fox was uh, syndicated. It was, uh, it was our first publicity campaign was, can you find your Fox station? Because it was you know, like Channel 24 or 32 or something like that. And um, uh, that's how it launched. And then they, that one night, 
was, you know, watch the show, watch it again. If you missed it, here it is again. And, <laughs> but it wasn't until um, a, a couple of years into the, the, the network, it's, or the syndicated network itself, that people started finding it because ABC, CBS, and NBC would rerun and rerun, and we started gaining momentum in the summertime because to them we were new programming. It was like, what's this? I haven't seen this three times already. And, the, and I don't remember, Billy was on the lot. We were on the same lot. I remember getting to see you. Yeah, I came. What year did you start? We running? started in 91. Okay, well, we started in 87. So yeah, it so was you've been a few, on. Okay, yeah, so it yeah. was a few more seasons. Older generation. The first year that it was on, on Fox, I grew up in Arkansas in kind of a rural area, and uh, they couldn't get it. So I had to make tapes to send my parents so that they could see the, watch the TV show. And, and I think on Herman's Head you had a couple of the Simpsons actors. Yeah, and, Yardley. Uh, and it was just starting, Simpsons Menial was just starting about that time. Yeah, because Simpsons was a commercial bumper in and out of Tracy Ullman show. It was just a little strip. And they looked very different in those little bumpers, and they, they got refined before they went. And they've made, what, 300,000? I was just going to say, episodes. yeah, they've been on 30-something. Yeah, since then. Well, you were on for 11 with, with children, right? Yeah. 11 yeah, we shot the show for 10 years. And because it was Fox, which was what we made fun of all the time, it was 11 seasons, right? Okay. Yeah. And I, I believe we're talking sitcoms. Jonathan, you were involved with the sitcom as well, according to Jim, correct? I, cre um, I, I created it. Created it. Uh, along with my uh, former writing partner, Tracy Newman. Yeah. Uh, and that ran for 192 episodes, I guess. Wow. Any stories? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Those are bar stories. I'm going to put the <laughs> All right, and Stephen, you were in one of my favorite movies, Moon 44, that a lot of people haven't checked out. It was was it the first movie by Roland Emmerich? Or? Yes, I'm pretty sure it was his very first. And he met Dean Devlin on that. Dean uh, was he was an actor, just, uh, and, you know, regular actor. And for those of you that don't know, that team went on to make Independence Day, Godzilla, Stargate, The Patriot, and they didn't call you. What's going on there? What's that? For any of those films. Mr. Brown really close to He wouldn't do the bio. He said, do the bio. You mean the weird because, like, Roland met me at the Frankfurt Airport when I got there. and. I've heard, and I heard through people that, you know, he kind of liked me, um, you know, which, uh, you know, of course now I'm thinking I should have taken advantage of that, but, uh, um, I, you know, it, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, uh, I, I was having, it was an interesting uh, period in my life, but, um, but uh, Roland is, is intense, I mean, he's, uh, he's, Super, super intense. Um, there, uh, there wasn't a lot of laughing on on that set, but uh, you know, it's. Um, what was the movie? I don't think I know. Moon Forty Four. 
Mm -hmm. I got a copy out. What's it about? Uh, it, it, it's like a, kind of a Star Wars type thing in good against evil and we shoot other spaceships and... He's bullied quite a bit in it. It's What's that? Of, you're kind of bullied in that movie. It's actually a very good performance of being bullied. Yeah, yeah. I have a scene with a rat, don't I? Or a mouse? Yeah, you do have that too. <laughs> very touching. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great movie. You should seek it out. I think it's available on a couple of the streamers. But you know, really, a lot of you have television experience, and, and certainly in the entertainment industry, how different are things now with all the streaming and three thousand networks out there compared to you know both of you being involved at the beginning of Fox, where it was a big thing. Oh my God, there's a fourth network. <laughs> and now there's a network every couple of feet, it seems. Well, what's the biggest difference? Is there more opportunity, less? What is Jules? Yeah. And yet we still can't get a job. <laughs> no, it is fascinating. I've been involved with television for more than half the life of the industry itself. And so to watch that um, happen in terms of the technology and how, you know, you, I remember the Betamax, and the, you, did you have a Betamax? You remember or the old kid? kinescopes, right? <laughs> 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 and, you know, when I was directing, um, when HD came around, and they didn't know how to do that on a television multi-camera set, um, and they didn't know whether to call people by the terms that videotape use as opposed to film because there were different terms for different positions and the crew. And eventually the film lingo won. Um, but initially I was directing a show, uh, Reba McIntyre's first show called Reba. And it was one of the first HD shows shot. And that was a real interesting experience to come and be a part of um, the beginning of that, which is now the way it is. That's all there is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Film not utilized very often either. It's all right. It's too expensive. But I was shooting multicam <coughs> film, which had four dollies and three three camera people. One was it was involved, and so HD changed everything. Which is why there's such an abundance of programming out there. Um, because it's so immediate, readily available, and cheap to make. Yeah. And now features are, more often than not, shot on HD, not, not on film. It's interesting, too, that uh, it's not just streaming stuff, but, you know, everyone in here has a phone with a camera that can make a video, you know, right now. And, uh, and I, you know, when you pass people all the time making videos of themselves, I mean, that's an entertainment channel. Gaming is an entertainment channel that my kids will watch, or rather go play a game than watch, you know, uh, a movie sometimes, you know, so it's, it's exponential, it's not just that there's more of the same thing going on, it's just a, an infinite variety now, there are a number, there's a show for every person with a camera, so, you know. And things are not geared towards, like in film, um, I mean, the, the mecca is still the large screen, but a lot of programming is created to be watched on your phone, to be um, consumed on a small screen on, on mobile. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So it dictates everything now. So, 
you're all still very active. I want to ask if there's any projects that you want to let people know about that are going on, going down <coughs> if you don't have this NDA, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, after Married with Children ended, and some of, I talked about this with some of you, I just, uh, they gave me my second career as a director, so I stopped acting after that show, and for 30 years, it's behind the camera, directing television, mostly comedy, and, um, and then Hollywood decided that I was not going to do that anymore, <laughs> seriously, and uh, that's in my book. And, uh, no, but I, um, I just decided a couple of years ago to start acting again. So I made a couple of features, small roles and features last year. One is with John Heater, who is Napoleon Dynamite, and it'll come out when it gets a distribution deal, I guess. Uh, it's called Topper Wingo, and then I made a film with Billy Eichner, who did a show on Hulu called um, Difficult People, and Billy, it's Judd Apatow's company. And it's uh, it's his it's he's written and um, starring in it, and it's funny. And when you go away for 25 years and come back on screen, I'm now the mom. So, uh, <laughs> but I uh, again, it, it's been fun. It's been nice. So that one's called Bros, and it'll be out in September. All right, I think that's my indication that it's time to go to the audience. If we have any questions out there from... And no, I don't know what I was, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to shut that one down. I was ready to shut that one down. Okay, time for inappropriate questions. <laughs> yep. Can we hear your infamous laugh? Catch me after the show. He did it at a at a con in Dallas or something, and I think by the fortieth person who came up to say, "Can you do the laugh?" He said, "I can't do." You know, like what, what, during filming, I hated doing it. I mean, Tom, Tom had to actually shake me. Said, because I, 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 kind of crossed it out because it. I mean, it was so a suggestion. It's like I took it. It was so obnoxious, and I didn't want to play an obnoxious character. But he said, "No, Steve, that's how it's supposed to be." So, I, I you know, I was forced to do it, and. Uh, you know, and like, and, but like I said before, when people stopped me, uh, like on the subway, and said, "Do that laugh," you know, and they kind of huddle right, and they wouldn't let me go. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it's, it's, uh, but, uh, yeah, so a laugh lost. PTSD. Jonathan can do his laugh if that's. Oh, okay. Sure. For for any or all of you, did you have you watched Fright Night since the premiere? And if it's if your friends or relatives want to watch it, do you sit down and watch it with them. What do you think? Oh sure, I have. I I'll often throw it on on Halloween. Just have it playing there, just for fun. My daughter loves it. She's almost thirty. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, and I and I think I I had someone in my life that had not seen it, and I actually watched it all the way through. And you know, it's entertaining. It, watching it, it's sort of like, 
this is your life, that was your life. And, but also the fact that we are all still with one another after all this time, because again, and what's that, 17 years now that we've been doing these conventions. And, uh, and it's, so it's, it's, it's kind of the whole experience of it for us. I've only seen it twice. I never saw the uh, premiere because they all went to the premiere. I left town because I thought it was going to suck so bad. <laughs> I was afraid that I was going to have to walk up that aisle in shame. So I went to New York. And the only time I've ever seen it is twice and only on the small screen. So I've never really had the experience and probably some of you have seen it on a larger screen. But uh, I thought they had that showing of it in Westwood. They did at the new at the, at the uh, new art. Or the new art. But I was out in the lobby. I didn't watch it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, decades later. I don't think I saw it, though. I, I, I don't think I sat print. there. Sony had given them a new I print. knew the story. I know how it ended. No surprise. They did a Sony, or whoever owns Sony now, did a new print of it in, like, 2000. Uh, ten, nine, or ten, or something, and showed it at the New Art, which is a, a, a theater in LA, and it was beautiful. I hadn't seen it on a, a big screen like that uh, in years. I'd only seen it, you know, on the tapes or the DVD or whatever, and it was really beautiful. It was really impressive. My skin was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whenever you're working on a film or a TV show, uh, do you know in the moment if it's going to be great, or do you just do you have to wait until the end and hope that it turned out the way you wanted it to, or you have to wait for the audience reactions? Is there a feeling when you're working on it if you know it's really something special? This was a special, and we've talked about this, a special experience for all of us. We just really enjoyed ourselves, and it had a little bit of magic to it, we knew that without really having any frame of reference because we didn't really have careers yet. Um, and so, in a, I mean, it's delightful that here we are these decades later, but then there's an element of it that's not wholly surprising because the energy behind it when we were making it, it's still there. And so there's something there's something about that. Um, I, I don't, it's, it's, you know, you're a writer, so I don't know what your experience is. I know when, uh, for, as a director, um, when things are working and when they're not. Um, and again, I believe that if it's not on the page, if it's not in the writing, no matter how many kinds of bells and whistles you try to add to it, it it's never really going to quite be. But I, was, I would also add, Tom wrote an amazing script. He really did, there's no question. But you can write a great piece and if you don't have the right actors, it will it will not. Uh, so this was a combination of a great script and the exact right people to do it. That's true. That's true of every phase of it too. I mean, the production team, the editing, the people who edit it, the people who make it. You know, that's our our, our stage of the process. Uh, you know, who puts it together and and how they market it. There's so many phases of what goes into making something successful. that You can have our chemistry or, uh, or our writing or both and it still can come out flat, you know? It's just, it's 
When I did Sometimes. my uh, first movie, I was doing a play at the time, and, and I could not believe how many other people people in, uh, are involved with uh, the whole project. I mean, when you do a, a play, you're, you know, you rehearse for six weeks and whatever, and, uh, and it, all the standing at the right place, and look, you know, and it, it's, it's just amazing that, you know, your fate is in the hands of so many other people, especially in, in a horror film. Um, but, uh, yeah. And well, the, it, it, Fright Night was, was lightning in a bottle. It, it's not, you can't, I, I was surprised when people always say, well, what about the remake? And you go, well, what do you expect? It's, it's not, you can't make the same thing. It's impossible. It was the time, the people, the, the, the direction, everything like that. It's, it's just something like, it's like baking a, a, a cake. You don't know if it's going to come out correctly. And because there's a whole lot of things afterwards, you've got editing and you've got studio notes and you've got all this other stuff that could screw something up. But apparently, according to Tom, anyway, they pretty much left him alone, which was the best thing that could have happened to this yeah, movie. Yeah, seeing it for the first time was just amazing because I mean, you know, I had no idea what these guys were doing behind the scenes, um, so to speak, for a year. And, and just a, a component of that, an example of that, is, is uh, Amy's mouth, her shark mouth there, which is now iconic. It's on, you know, it's on the posters and everything. That was like a night before decision, you know. Uh, Tom had said to, the, to, the, uh, to Randy or to one of the special effects guys, you know, I want her to turn around and there's this big gaping large shark mouth. Yeah. And that was it. And it hadn't been... He made it happen. And he made it happen, like, you know, literally overnight and uh, and you know and that's what if you hadn't had that yeah. thought or yeah. that decision you know and what if that thing is not associated with the movie at all then you know the movie might have still worked but it's a component that you just you know there's a mercurial sort of muse that happens yeah I love spontaneous spontaneity as opposed to like you know writing Character histories. All the energy comes together, and it's like, like when I saw that for the first time, it was like, it, that's right. That's how. That's what should happen. It just, it was the right thing at that moment, and uh, yeah. And I grew it overnight. <laughs> so Tom, it was all Tom, and he knew he was missing a moment. He was missing at a moment, and that's the way he describes it. And so, and he's fortunate that it wasn't six months after we filmed, because you don't yeah, go once, back and get if that. If we were broken, it wouldn't have right. But that was part of the fun of it, too. I can still remember you walking on the set with that. We were laughing so hard, and you were trying to talk, and you couldn't talk very well. But that was what was fun about it. And, and I remember you going to lunch with that thing on. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> I had to go to lunch. Uh, they put the steak in me, and then they put this thing around me to hold the steak out. It's like out to here. And it's like, lunch! Well, I have to go to the, I'm in the commissary trying to eat with a steak sticking out. <laughs> Would you like some fries with your... Thanks for laughing. I really want to thank our panel. They are available in the main room. They're not in the guest signing room. They're in the main room. 
and uh, check them out. They're all sitting next to each other, very convenient for you, and uh, just a delightful group. Let's show them how much we appreciate. All right.